0: All
1: right, this is Garrett here from CBS Sports. It's now Sunday night, January 17th, and this is the Eye on College Basketball podcast. I got Matt Norlander with me, got Sam Bassini with me, and uh, before we get into it, let me apologize for the lack of a podcast last friday um It's flattering that anybody even notices and uh and opts to tweet about it um but uh we had uh, technical difficulties on Friday. Sam was out at USC hanging out with Andy Enfield. By the way, Matt, you want to apologize to me for mocking me about Andy Enfield all these years? Or was that Goodman? I have not to-
2: mocked you. What are you talking about?
1: What? What? Somebody, I think it was Goodman then. Used to yes, always make fun of how
2: dare at- you conflate those me with him. And he is relentless. Uh, and he would probably even be uh, yeah every- still mock you for this because USC technically in the big picture hasn't done, you know. <laughs> Too too much, but yeah no I hey listen I, I get it and USC's doing well but yeah, yeah Sam yeah. was doing there and we had tech issues on my end so we couldn't get a podcast up but I was never throwing shade at you for the Andy Enfield
1: oh it was Goodman then I confuse you guys sometimes in the group text he was always like how's your boy after every USC loss how's your boy Enfield doing Parrish? well now he's doing okay now he's 15 and three and he's got a team that's ranked in the top 25-1 and one, and a team that will probably be ranked in the AP poll on a Monday afternoon. So Sam was at USC, and uh, Norlander uh, and I had some Wi-Fi issues, but we're all good now. And let's start with Michigan State. Two Sundays ago, uh, the Spartans were ranked uh, number one in the AP poll. It was about to change the next day because this was the same week as the Iowa loss, but still, this is true. Two Sundays ago, uh, Michigan State was ranked number one in the AP poll. Uh, now the Spartans are 16-3. and three. Uh, with two losses to Iowa and a loss to a Wisconsin team that isn't very good. They're three games back in the loss column in the Big Ten standings. Now, everybody knows Denzel Valentine was hurt and is still trying to get back comfortable. And everybody knows Tum Tum Nair and is now out for the foreseeable future with uh, plantar fasciitis. Uh, But so is it as simple as that? Just like, hey, they had some injuries and so what are you going to do? Or is there a larger issue with Michigan State, Sam? What do you think?
0: Um well it's nice to be back on the podcast. It's nice to have uh, you back. Yeah. Hey, dude, you know, uh, actually actually talking this time and I'm glad to, started glad to with kick you. this off. I started with you just to make sure you got in a, a, a decent opening comment <laughs> inside of the first 5 minutes. <laughs> it's shocking, I know. Um I think that the problem with Michigan State is right now again Valentine is obviously still coming back like you said, but uh, this is a team that you know, they're going to have problems going forward just as far as getting their full roster together and playing together and kind of peaking at the right time. Maybe you get that by like mid-February and then they start crescendoing, crescendoing, crescendoing to the Big Ten tournament and the NCAA tournament. But, you know, I can't remember the last time we saw a Tom Izzo team kind of peak so early. You know what I mean? Like normally these Michigan State teams, they go along and they're okay. They lose some games they probably shouldn't lose. And then Bam, mid-February hits and everything peaks And everything uh, just goes forward And goes up and up from there But this year it's different It's kind of following the exact opposite uh, timeline That Izzo typically has And uh, this team is incredibly talented If you look at it from a just roster pr- roster perspective I mean, Aaron Harris is now going to get a lot of time To kind of come into his own uh, Matt McQuaid is a young guy Who's actually not really that young for a freshman But uh, should continue to grow and mature uh, Deontay Davis is another guy that as uh, a freshman can grow and mature uh, you know i think that coming down to the end of march this is still going to be a team to reckon with this is still going to be a team that you don't want to face in the big 10 tournament in the ncaa tournament but having said that i don't know that they're going to be a contender at this point in the big 10 because they're just going to kind of have to take some time here to figure out what's going on with them
1: norlander let me ask you this how uh, is it possible that oh, you know they were a team that you know, at some point had a resume of a top-ranked team, but they were never actually the best team in the country, if that makes sense. In other words, they got Kansas early on a neutral court. And if people remember how that game went down, um, McQuaid hit a couple of threes, like in the final minutes, like they just banged home some shots and Denzel was unbelievable. Like he had a triple double that night and, and they come from behind like in the final five, six minutes to, to beat Kansas. So they get that win, they put it in the back pocket, then they get a win over a Providence team that, had just gotten a win over an Arizona team. So that's another re- resume builder. Then they get a win over Louisville at home. But like, well, I don't even know what that means actually. And so they yeah. put together a number one resume, but is it, is it possible they were just never great? They were always a team that was going to be capable of taking a loss on the road to an average to bad Wisconsin team. All
2: right, So this is where I'm with you. And I think we're on the same page overall because it's just expectation adjustment. You mentioned Providence, and that's another school coming in. Yep. Not that necessarily our notions in October are, you know, true uh, prognostications on what's to come. But Providence is a team that's really slumping right now and and regressing to the mean of what we expected. Michigan State was projected by many in the business, whether it be you know major websites, magazines, coaches poll, AP poll. I don't know what they were in the AP poll, but generally speaking felt like Michigan was considered, you know, anywhere from 8th to 20th overall in the country. Hey, that's still really, really good, sure. okay? And mm-hmm. and I still think it's reasonable to place them in that. Now, it's it's rough when you start off 13-0, and and then you go 3-3 and over the next six games. You know, you get swept by Iowa, uh, certainly. And when you lose at home with Denzel Valentine, it kind of emphasizes that. And dropping a road game to a Wisconsin team that is most definitely not going to reach the NCAA tournament, barring, a, you know a complete uh, turnaround of that team this year. So it can can sting, and we might—I want to just hesitate to overreact. What I think is going to happen here is Michigan State is going to play out its season. It's going to get healthy. I think it will surge again. As always, any Izzo team is a danger in March. It's incredible. First of all, the man has more Final Four appearances than any coach over the past two decades in college basketball. So it's been proven that no matter his roster— and no matter the seeding, because he's done it as one as a one seed, he's done it as a much lower seed, as a six seed. We know that his team and his program they can get up in March, and they have gotten up. So I think they're going to land okay. Yeah. I would say somewhere maybe a three or four would be my ultimate prediction with Michigan State, which in the end is about where we thought they'd be back in October.
1: You know, when you've got Tom Izzo and a, a you know a truly dif- a true difference maker, you know at the collegiate level, somebody like Denzel Valentine. You know, that, that's a lot of times what, that's what the NCAA tournament's about. Do you have a guy who can, for lack of a better phrase, um, you know, put put a team on his back? Like they've got that guy in Denzel, and then they've got one of the great tournament coaches of all time. And so um, almost regardless of what happens between now and then, as long as they're healthy going into that NCAA tournament, they will be a, a factor, I'm certain. Um, elsewhere on Sunday, uh, Michigan State isn't the only team that took a, a loss on the road to an unranked team. Virginia. Uh, lost at Florida State. It's a game that um, they were actually leading in the second half and just uh, couldn't score, um, end up uh, having a chance in the final minutes but couldn't score. And so they take a fourth loss this season to an unranked team. Their resume is really all over the place because they've got some, some great wins. Um, but now they've got four losses to, to unranked teams. Is this just sort of uh, what they are? Good enough? Um, on a neutral site or at home to beat anybody, but not good enough um, to to steer clear of these types of upsets in the road. Is this what they are, Sam?
0: Yeah, I think that's probably true at this point. Because if you remember, I mean, that's a team last important. week
2: you you stood up you stood up for him. Remember.
0: Virginia, I know, but, I mean, you go out and drop now three road games, and they struggled with Ohio State earlier in the year on the road. Um, you just have to wonder w- what's going on with them, where they're going to struggle to win on the road like this. I, I mean, I, I understand that, obviously, uh, winning on the road is entirely different beast in college basketball, but – it, it, on some level, to me, it's it, it's just weird that we've seen so much, especially this season, uh, from like somewhat not elite teams, but really really good teams, like I think Virginia is, uh, go on the road and really really struggle. I mean, we saw it with Miami this week; they struggled on the road. Like, it, I mean, they lost to Virginia on the road. Uh, now that I think about it, and it, it it's weird exactly. to me that they are just going. Along and losing these games on the road, and it's all around college basketball. I think ultimately Virginia probably will be fine. I mean, the NCAA tournament's played on a neutral floor, right. and they've obviously done pretty well so far. So I think that will be uh, that Virginia will be okay. But it's a strange thing to see them at uh, two and three in the ACC given their last few years.
1: You know what? Everybody always makes a big deal about uh, teams not being able to win on the road. Like this, you know, they can't win it. They haven't beaten anybody on the road, or they have, a, you know, won a big road game yet. And I, I've always sort of subscribed to the theory that um, you, you can be really good without winning on the road. Now, I think if you can win big games on the road, that suggests you're great. But, sure. but like you don't have to win. You don't have to be good on the road to be a really good college basketball team. Because like you said, when we get to the NCAA tournament, guess what you
0: don't have to do? Went on the on road. The road. You don't I mean, this win. is a team that went out and beat West Virginia by 16 sure. on the neutral floor. They right. outscored them by like 20 in the second half. Like, it's just a weird thing with them that they're struggling on the road. I, I wouldn't read too, too much into it as far as their future success, honestly. Yeah, They've got they got a West Virginia win, just to go
1: through the resume, Matt. they got a yep. Villanova win, a West Virginia win. They've beaten Notre Dame. They've beaten Miami. So that's four wins over teams that I have ranked in the top 25 and one right now. Plus, they've got a win over California. so they've got one, two, three, four, five top 50 kinpom wins and that's actually one, two, three, four, five top 40 kinpom wins, but then they've got four losses to teams ranked outside of the top 50. Just trust me as somebody who looks at this every single day right. nobody's got a resume like that. four I mean five wins inside the top 40, four losses outside of the top uh, outside of the top 40.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, just uh, if I were doing a broad bracket in my mind, and it's right now Virginia feels like a four seed, but when you, with what you're saying there, it's, it might qualify as something more. I don't know. I mean, GW, uh, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Florida State, none of those teams are necessarily tracking to the NCAA tournament, although GW and FSU have uh, pretty good shots of getting there. Um, interesting thing about Virginia is schedule last year to this year is pretty comparable. I'd say the league is pretty comparable. Uh, but the team has done this weird uh, switch there where it's better on offense by a decent margin this year than it was last year. And the defense, both in statistics and when you watch them play, it's just nowhere near it, uh, what it was. It's it's good, not great. And mm-hmm. it, it's something that I, I wonder if that's going to change in league play um, As a, as just a really quick aside – I, I, I noticed uh, a few more coaches, Izzo maybe the most uh, predominant among them, but saw a little more complaining about the rules over the past week or so And Izzo and losing. Uh, definitely had something to say about it uh, against Sunday against Wisconsin, but Bennett is obviously someone whose schemes aren't benefited by the new rules, hmm. and I wonder hmm. if we're going to see in the ACC and with Virginia's games a little more physicality allowed, which you know we shouldn't. That's not what they're trying to do. But if that does happen, uh, will his defense and his team benefit from it? Just something to, to watch with Virginia. They're definitely super weird. Um, but they're, they're still, you know, they're performing like a top five offense in the country entering into Sunday. The, the loss at FSU is definitely weird. But then again, like FSU, again, I mentioned this, I think two weeks back, like they, every year they get one or two really awesome wins. And then it's, it's just offset by the fact that they'll have four to six, just like, what are you doing losses? So I don't know. We'll see. Now we have this super interesting game on Tuesday with Virginia. Cause they're at home to Clemson who has, who has done like the unthinkable? They were seven and six, a complete afterthought. Brownell's team was just going nowhere, maybe his job was in jeopardy, and now they're five and one in the league, and they've knocked off Florida State and Syracuse and then Louisville and then Duke and then Miami. It's ranked team after ranked team after ranked team, albeit four of those five games were at home. Right. So we're about to see. But, I mean, things are going to get super, super weird if Clemson can go into Virginia on Tuesday and beat the Cavaliers. I don't think that will happen. No. But if it does, it's going to be a serious come-to-Jesus moment for both programs.
1: If it does, then, yes, it's time to – re listen, it's already time to start paying attention to Clemson. I don't want to discount what they're doing. But I do sure. think their little run here, which is impressive for anybody, especially impressive for Clemson, um, I think it's mostly schedule-induced, right? I mean, I, I just I – th- I think there's a sort of a quirk in the schedule where they got – they got all these games, uh, you know, back-to-back-to-back to back to back at home. And, and and they've taken advantage of it. Not everybody would go through, you know, a 3-0 against Louisville, Duke, and Miami at home. But they were three home games. And so mm-hmm. I, I think what you'll see probably Tuesday is them come back to earth just a little bit and, and maybe get handled at Virginia.
0: Yeah. Let me, let me also note about Virginia, too. It, it might be a thing where uh, Virginia's a pretty jump shot heavy team right now. Uh, and maybe you go on the road and you're, I mean, I don't know, not used to the rims or maybe the shots just don't fall. I, I would think that jump shooting teams uh, on offense are probably uh, more prone to getting beaten on the road. So, I mean, that that at least has a possibility of being true, even though Virginia's offense uh, coming into Sunday was ranked in the top five, according to Kempom.
1: Norlander, you mentioned the the rule changes and I decided uh, a long time ago, back in the offseason, I wasn't going to be the guy complaining about the rules um, because I do think ultimately they're good for the sport, good for the game. And um, even if if the transition or the time period in which teams are getting used to playing with these new rules, even if it might be difficult and, and at times ugly, um, I, I, I think long-term it's good for the sport. So I'm not going to complain about the short-term. One thing I do wish they would have done and, and still wish they would do, is hey listen call the fouls the way you're calling the fouls find me let's go to 6 fouls per uh 6 personal fouls though i hate the idea and uh, that that we often get these games where the best players can't stay on the court you know like that I, I in what other sport does that happen you know where where you you know the best players are are tied to the bench because of uh fouls like it 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 doesn't happen in any other sport does it <laughs>
2: Uh, no, but it does happen by, I mean, hockey with, by way of, of penalty minutes and to a certain degree, you get taken off the floor, but it's not the same thing. I know it's not the same thing. Well, like even Um, like,
1: if you watch the NBA, like foul trouble is almost never an issue. Like it's just something that doesn't come up in NBA games. Like you never, you never hear about, well, you know, Draymond Green's in foul trouble in the second quarter. I mean, I'm not saying it never happens. I'm just saying it's rarely an issue. And in college basketball, it is always an issue.
2: I'm I'm with you generally. I I one I think it will I don't think it's soon to change, but I actually think what'll happen first is they'll have a rule in place where if it goes to overtime, guys are allowed a six foul. I think that'll happen before we go to six in regulation. I'm totally okay with it because it's better for the sport to have your best players on the court as much as possible, improves the the game, you know, all that stuff. I'm definitely uh for all of that. Um but I just think it's there will need to be more of a groundswell for for him to get there. I'm surprised you haven't seen coaches uh, push for this more and maybe they have more behind the scenes. I don't have a ton of intel on that. Um but I I agree. I would like to I would not have an issue with going to 6. Now Well, that, that's is what five I was thinking for about 40, like who... the NBA is 6 for 48, so it's kind of like the same or similar ratio. Right. But you're right. In that uh, dudes are getting in foul trouble, ease you know more frequently at the college level. Uh, but this is part of the deal in terms of just cleaning up the game, um, which I would argue they still aren't you know being totally successful at. Like,
1: well, like who would ar- Sam? You tell me. What would be the argument against going to six? Like, who would argue against that?
0: Old people, right? Like, I, I don't. I, yeah, no, I would yeah. <laughs> much rather it be. Uh, six fouls. Like yeah. I have no no qualms about this. It should be six fouls in my opinion. That's that's all I've got really on this one. Like, yeah,
1: trust me, if, if if the NBA
0: ever got to a point where uh, LeBron James was
1: having to sit an extended period of time in the first half because of foul trouble or Kevin Durant or Anthony, they, they, they'd fix it one way or another. Like they'd say, you know what, we can't, you know, because the NBA looks at everything from a practical perspective. You know what the NBA would say? we can't have our stars sitting on the bench. Like, that doesn't make any sense. But we have to call the fouls. So, like, we need to um, like figure it out. Let's go to seven personal. They can go to seven personal fouls before they let LeBron James be hindered by foul trouble every third game. And yet, in college basketball, I mean, you can't watch a game. I mean, I really believe this. Like, I bet you 80% of college basketball games, a significant player is benched in the first half because of, quote, foul trouble.
2: Yeah, and part of that is... Con- is coaches. Do you like start,
1: the way I'm just throwing out stats now? I'm just Yeah. Making well, first them up. of all, those oh, are man.
2: empirical and <laughs> certainly can't be refuted by any sort of research. But um, part of it is coaches stuck in uh, conventional wisdom, where if it's two, you're done. You get the hook to the end of the half. <laughs> yeah. That's. That's not. That's not really the way they should be going. Uh, generally speaking, you know, if you get two, by in the first four minutes, I totally understand it. But you know, you see this all the time. A guy will pick up a second foul and there's six and a half minutes to go, and he's sitting. And sometimes it's to the detriment of the team uh but i'm i'm you know i'm generally there with you the one
1: i get frustrated with with coaches and i do think they're sort of like it is It is pretty common for you get two you're done for the half which i disagree with i think circumstances should dictate what good does it have what good is it to have you know three fouls left for the second half if you're down 17 points at halftime you know so like um i do think the, the coaches who are pretty like Automatic trigger, two fouls, you're done for the half. I don't, I don't like that approach. The other one that kind of drives me crazy sometimes, and not all coaches do this, but some do, like okay, you pick up four with 16 minutes to go, and they'll hold you till there's five minutes left or six minutes left or whatever. Like at some point, every minute, like you do get five. So like, I'd rather my guy with with, I don't know, particularly if if the game's at at risk of getting away from me. Like I'd rather my guy, um, play the, you know come back in at the 11 minute mark and okay let's say he fouls out with 3 minutes to go. I still got 8 minutes out of him whereas if you don't bring him back into the 6 minute mark, you can only at max get 6 out of him. You know what I'm saying?
2: Absolutely. No, I I agree. I didn't realize <laughs> we were going to get into this. Thing. Here's what I can <laughs> say. It's going to GP, but you know GP and Sam like it's going to take um a few instances in the tournament, specifically the final 4 for this to ha- like I I'm with you. Mm -hmm. I just – I'm not feeling the push toward this. No, I'm not. I think it should happen.
1: No, that's – like I've never heard people – like coaches actually talk about it. Some people
2: believe – and I I disagree with this. Some people believe that there shouldn't even be a limit to fouls, but that you can get mm -hmm. really gimmicky in a hurry – If you don't have some sort of limit, it is part of what the game is. But I agree that like a long, long time ago, it was decided that five thousand or eight, like, you know, we should stop and assess what the rules are, how the game has changed, how the athletes have changed, how schemes have changed. And we should be willing to adapt.
0: I will note this, though, real quick. Uh, I just looked up averages uh, of fouls per team, per game in both the NBA and the NCAA. Mm -hmm. Uh, The NCAA is right around like 19 and a half per team, per game. And then the NBA is at 20. So it's not like we're talking about a
2: 48 about, minute game,
0: yeah, right? Like, it's not like we're talking about, uh, a t- like a game in the NBA that, you know, has a ton of fouls and you need the sixth foul, like college basketball kind of needs the sixth foul, just like built in just because the players aren't really as good. I, yes, think, I agree with that. Like, it it just is what it is. Like, you're not talking about a large numerical difference here, even though the game is shorter. So why wouldn't you just go to six?
1: Right. That's where I'm at. Like, I, you're right, Norlander. I haven't really ever heard a big push for this, but I don't know why we haven't had a big push for this. And you mentioned we we probably will need, a, uh, you know, something on a big stage where, like, but like we had it in the 2007 Final four. Like Greg Oden and Roy Hibbert both had foul trouble first half. Like, everybody was like, Hibbert versus Oden. Like, this is going to be great. And then I, I just remember they both got picked up two fouls and um, they were benched. Like, we we had, it was basically uh, uh, Daquan Cook and Mike Conley against Jeff Green. Like, that's what the game ended up being as opposed to to Hibbert versus We were robbed of Hibbert versus Oden because of five fouls. And, um, you know, that didn't
0: lead the chain. So I don't know that anything will. But that's something,
1: well, that's, something I, that's always, I've always thought would be a good. A good additional change. Let's go to six thousand. How
0: about this? This summer, when we do our typical coaches' poll, there you I'm go. Sure, this is one of the questions. Go we'll ahead and ask. go ahead sure. and jot that down in your notebook. GP, let me we'll set
2: it. you up with a quick uh change of topic here because sure. I don't know if you wanted to hit this, but I, I have the stat for you. Go ahead. All right. First of all, let me ask you: When do you think the last time that both Kentucky and Duke were not in the AP poll? Mm. In the air. I
1: mean, Duke's always in it, right? I mean, so it's got. Uh, I mean, I, I I have no idea. I mean, I could just guess a year,
2: but I have. How's I, I have, guess? So. Uh, I guess before I knew was twenty. It was two thousand nine. It's two thousand nine. That was my guess before uh, I, I I guessed in my head before I found it out.
1: I would think it's farther than that. I would think it's a, like a. I would think it's not within the past ten years. What about you, Sam?
2: Two thousand seven. Get out of here, dude. <laughs> Sam got it. So here's the crazy 2007. Thing. Well, 2007,
0: I know, is just the crappy Duke year. Like where they had like Josh McRoberts was their best player right. and like Shire okay. was a freshman. That's so here's
2: the crazy thing. So, yes, the last time that Kentucky and Duke were not in the AP poll, both at the same time, was the last AP poll of 2007. And the last time before that, this is nuts to me. The last time was 1976, the final AP poll. Jeez. So one of those two teams has been in the AP poll every single week except the final week of 76 and the final week of 2007 over the past, you know, 39 years. It's absolutely bonkers and obviously I say that because we could have a situation on Monday where they're both not in.
1: I actually don't think Duke's going to drop all the way out. Neither he, do I. And here's why. Listen, Neither do I. Here's why because AP voters, you know, I had guys tweet me this earlier today. They say, "Well, you know, um you shouldn't fall from nine all the way out. And I say why? Like, why, why not? Like, I what I do every day is I, I I look at bodies of work. And if you look at Duke's bodies of work, body of work right now, let me be clear. You could put them in there if you just decide. You know, at the end, I'm going with Wichita State and and uh, can't remember who I put at the Notre, Notre Dame. Dame. Right. All right. So like. You could, you could go with Duke and Kentucky instead of Wichita State and Notre Dame if you wanted, like if you really wanted to. But it's not clear cut that Duke belongs. Like they, they've got two top 50 – I mean I can give you the resume. I, I had it the other day. They've got they've – got,
2: It's true. We actually talked about this before the, the, yes. the technical issues uh, prevented the podcast. Yeah, okay.
1: it, it's two top 50 wins. Yeah, they've got two top 50 wins. They've got an Indiana win at home and a VCU win on a neutral. And then which, to
2: be fair, those wins are getting better by the week.
1: They are. Um, they've got a neutral site loss to Utah, which is 69th in Kempom now. They've got a um, a road loss at Clemson, which is 56th. And they got a home loss to Notre Dame. So they've got two top 50 wins um, and, th- and and two losses outside of the top 50 and a home loss to to currently unranked Notre Dame. There's not much there. Like you can rank them if you want to, but there, but there ain't much there. But the reason that they'll remain in the AP poll, I believe, is because, for whatever reason, some AP voters think that. Well, I, I had it, I've had it both ways. Well, how could you only drop Kansas two? If you lose, you should drop you should drop more than one spot. Why? I I, I got in I didn't get into it, but I was some North Carolina fan earlier today. He was like, I think North Carolina should be ahead of Kansas, and I said, okay, why? I'm just curious. Why do you think that? He said, well, um. You know, I, um, North Carolina is better. You know, that, that's where he started the conversation. So you know what you're up against here. Um, I said, uh, I said, well, Kansas has better wins. Kansas has better losses. Kansas is higher in Ken Palm. Um, so like, and he's like, well, I, I still, this, and then he said, well, Kansas lost this week and I don't think they should, I don't think they should only drop one spot. And I was like, "Well, that doesn't make any sense to me." Like, I'm I'm still trying to listen to you, but you haven't made a good point yet. But but my my larger point here is that a lot of AP voters think that they go, "Okay, if you lose, yeah. you have to drop," but but you know you can only drop so far in a given week, and it's just laziness, really. People you know, filling out ballots, and and they'll they'll have they, Duke and Kentucky won't both be out. Kentucky might. I don't think Duke will.
0: Yeah, I, I would be surprised if Kentucky wasn't out at this point, wouldn't you?
2: Well, I would be surprised. Uh, sorry to cut you off, GP, but let's let's just quickly uh, – my quick thoughts here. One, uh, Mike Bray is the only K assistant to ever beat him. He's now done it four times. It's pretty awesome. Uh, and Notre Dame is a super is another super weird team in the ACC. Uh, I thought they'd be better than they've been, but this win obviously will go a long way toward them getting a bid. We'll see what they do from here. Uh, we've talked about Duke and their flaws and that resume, and there's definitely a lot of issues there, but they've lost a lot of talent. Let's look at what they had last year and they don't have this year Kentucky similarly GP made this point uh, earlier in the week on Twitter it's totally valid Kentucky which was so dominant last year it lost so much of its production but still Auburn was short-handed. Yeah, the Tigers were at home, but, like, what are you doing? It was it was basically – if Uless wasn't in that game, Kentucky is in danger of losing by 20 points. And given the amount of, of talent that's still in that Kentucky roster, even if you didn't have Euliss on the floor, it's pretty unacceptable. It's really weird. Um, this is turning into another situation with Calipari where he's built a really good roster off really strong recruits and guys that have a lot of talent, but it simply is not totally clicking yet. And I wonder if in part – Uh, it's because there might be too much on Ulysses' shoulders and he's not really set to handle that as a sophomore, like he would, if he was say a senior and there was a few other different components around him, but it would be shocking if Kentucky still ranked and has no business being in the poll on Monday.
1: Kentucky has now four losses to teams ranked outside of the top 60 at Kempon. They've got a UCLA loss an Ohio state loss, LSU loss. And then that Auburn loss, and the only thing they really have to offset it is a, vict- a home win over Louisville in the final seconds, and a ho- and a neutral court win uh, that came two months ago uh, against the Duke team that we know isn't you know what we thought it was at the time. You oh. added you added all up Duke and Kentucky because Emil Jefferson's now hurt. Uh, the top five scores from Duke last year after Suleiman transferred, or was removed from the team, were. Jilo Okafor, Quinn Cook, Tyus Jones, Justice Winslow, and Emil Jefferson. None of those five are playing for Duke right now. Um, obviously, four of them are gone, and uh, Emil Jefferson's injured. Uh, with Kentucky top seven scores from last season, no longer on the team. And, you know, I know that, that you know, Calipari's made it look easy before, but it's not easy to lose that much and just not even miss a beat. And 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 so here they both are, but... Um, yeah, I don't think, I don't see any way you could reasonably rank Kentucky, which is by the way, now projected by Kim Palm to finish 11 and seven in the sec. I don't know how you could rank them. Duke. I do think will probably be ranked and I won't, you know, tomorrow afternoon I'll do the poll attacks. I won't spend it attacking the people who, who voted for Duke. You can reasonably rank Duke, but I think you can reasonably not rank Duke as well.
0: Will you attack someone that places Duke in the top 15?
1: Um, I don't see how you could do that. You know, not, not at this point. I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like what I try to do with the poll attacks is I find things that aren't really subjective at all. Like, you, you know, it, I, I don't look at things like, um, yeah, you have this team eighth and this team ninth. And I really think it should be the other way around. I, I try to make those so very specific and, and, and they're almost always something that even the person I'm attacking can't even really defend himself. Not, not intelligently. Like more people always ask me this. Do you ever hear from the people, you know, who are, who you write about in the politics? And um, I do actually. And, and I would say the overwhelming majority of the time, you know what they say? Ah, you got me. Yeah. I screwed up. I screwed up the overwhelming majority of the time. I would say nine out of 10 times. I actually hear from somebody that I write about in the politics. They, they, they're, they basically have to go, yeah, I screwed up, or yeah, I messed up, or yeah, I didn't know, or something. They almost never try to take issue with what I wrote. So so I think attacking somebody who has Duke in the top 15, that might get me in an area where it's a little subjective. Trust me when I tell you, I'll find something way dumber than that uh, just as soon as I get my hands on the ballots.
2: Yeah, not to get too deep into it, but uh, like honestly, the reality is – a half, you know, I don't know the number, but plenty of the people that vote in the in the AP poll, one college troops is not their primary gig, and two, you just know that oh, it's Sunday night again. Okay, uh, okay, here we go, and they just list it out, and when you do it like that, like because you know that's what it like because it's there's so many games to track, you can't possibly track everything. That mistakes are inevitable, but I still, you know, that's that's your uh that's your signature thing, GP. The poll attacks—they <laughs> still do because it's crazy. Like you would think. You would think eventually that you would run out of material, but I, it just doesn't happen. It never happens.
1: Like I, I, I honestly thought at some point, and I do know some AP voters who do this. They like they won't even start their ballot till they look at mine, and they will not. That's why I do think on some level I shape the AP poll because I've now got some, at least some AP voters scared to be too different for me. You know, because I'll, you know, because they'll suddenly have a a column about him on CBS Sports.com. So, but but I but not not everybody does. Like that not everybody pays attention to me because there are some guys who do and 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 gals who do just some ridiculous stuff every week. I thought I've been doing this for years now. And I, I I my fear was and honestly I get a little bored with it, but like there's an audience for it, so I keep doing it. But like I thought for sure like at some point everybody's just going to realize you can't you you have to pay attention or else, and yet there's still people who just do not pay attention. There are times I can I go into it looking for something that I know somebody might've missed. Like George Washington losing at DePaul, like on New Year's Eve or day, day before New Year's. Like there was some sort of hot, maybe, I don't remember what it was, but it was an oddly timed game when when George Washington lost at DePaul. And I was like, you know what? One of these 65 AP voters is gonna have no idea that that happened. And sure enough, there he was Monday and it was a guy who worked at a paper 30 miles from GW's campus. Like, how do you not know that? Like, how do you, how are you completely unaware GW got blown out at DePaul? Like he had, he had GW ranked ring like 19th that week and moved him up to like 14th or whatever it was. Like he advanced him five spots or three spots. He just clearly had no idea the game happened. And yet you can find one of those guys or gals every single Monday. So I'll probably, uh, I'll probably focus on that. By the way, uh, because it wouldn't be a podcast unless we mentioned Scalabissiere. His last three games, he played four minutes, fourteen minutes, and eight. He only played eight minutes in the in the loss to Auburn. And this isn't a situation where he's like buried by his coach. What is his coach doing? Like um, we've been over this before. Like he, he's he's really really struggling now, and um, it's led to some Kentucky fans and even Memphians because you know he, Scal grew up here um asked me like does this mean he's got to go back to school uh, sam i want to know what you think about this i had an nba scout the other day tell me this this means he has to leave
0: he yes 100 percent.
1: yes he has to leave because um right now th- first off the draft's weak like you get to a point like whether at that point uh, that's is,
0: point number one yeah. wh-
1: whether the point whether the point is 13 or 19 or 24 you get to a point where you go who am i drafting like who who do you want me to pick let's at least take a flyer on the 7 foot kid with with a a, a unique skill set right so like the, the this draft is so weak that somebody will pick him at some point secondly um you know it'll only be one bad year and you can go into Uh, recent college basketball history and find guys who had subpar freshman seasons who still became relevant pros drew holiday is an obvious one deandre jordan's another one andre drummond's another one so you've got so one bad year you can chalk that up to a variety of things two bad seasons that starts to that starts to uh that starts to be who you are so like that and then the other reason is like if you look at who kentucky's got coming in and who Kentucky's got coming back, Yep. You, you, like, you can really get caught in a numbers game there. And so what's interesting, and listen, uh, let me be very clear here. Kit he can do whatever he wants to do. I'm not trying to push him into the NBA or push him back to Kentucky or anything. I'm just saying, uh, I, I think it's contrary to, to what most observers, like casual college basketball fans think. Scal struggling, he's got to come back to school. NBA people would actually tell you, Scal struggling, he better get out of there as quickly as possible.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with that totally. Um, I, I mean, maybe, I mean, there are some NBA people to talk to and they say, I mean, uh, he's probably not going to be able to play in the NBA next year. So why would he leave? But uh, no, I totally agree with you. I mean, he runs the risk next year of, like you said, having two bad years where he gets caught in a numbers game uh, and he can't recover his draft stock from that. Right. And here's the other thing, too, that people kind of lose in all of this. Scal's a year older for a freshman. Right than uh, a typical freshman is he'll be 20, I believe on draft day. So uh, again, you're getting to the point where you're talking about uh, if you stay a 21 year old sophomore who still hasn't totally come along yet. I mean, heck you hear the age questions about Chris Dunn, like, and he's 21, 22 years old at Providence. I think he's 22 now and he's incredible. Like you need to leave in my opinion, if you're Scalabissier, because there's also the idea that this is a weak draft. I mean, right now I've got, uh, let, let's see, I've got Damian Jones from Vanderbilt at 27 on my board. Right. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot from Damian Jones that makes me think that he would be a normal first round pick this year, in my opinion. I right. mean, he's big, seven foot tall, super athletic, uh, but he doesn't really rebound. Uh, kind of doesn't really protect the rim. Like, he's not a shooter. I mean, you're just talking about a big athlete at that point. Um, uh, You know, Malik Newman's another one at Mississippi State. Right. Where, you know, you see what he's doing, and, you know, his numbers aren't terrible. Uh, Like, what he did against Kentucky, I think it was, I think he had, like, 13 and 4. He should still probably leave, even though he'll have way more chance to get minutes next year than Scalabissier would. The reason that he should leave is because you run the risk of... Him being in a bad situation, which it doesn't seem like it's a great fit there with Ben Howland, and having two subpar years and tanking your draft stock. Like Malik Newman is already number 35 on my board. Uh, I mean, and he's a guy that doesn't really have terrific length, terrific athleticism. He's just a really, really good scorer who is continually learning and evolving at the point guard position, but it's not totally working in Ben Howland's slow it down system. So that's another guy that you should leave and avoid what is in 2017 an incredibly deep draft. I mean, if you look at the top end of that class, even in high school, it's remarkable. If you look at the top end of the international class that becomes eligible next year, it's remarkable. Like, there are five or six guys that would be top 10 picks this year, in my opinion, from that international class. Like, it's a really, really good draft next year. As many people who can declare for this draft and get – you know, maybe picked, or even uh, if you can go in the first round, you should absolutely go. But if you can even get picked, I think that uh, that's kind of worth it, in my opinion, in this draft. And it's going to be interesting to see now with the new rules that were just passed, uh, whether or not NBA teams are able to convince these borderline first round picks, these second round picks to stay, if they promise them a spot in the second round. I think that that is one of the bigger stories that's kind of gone undiscussed about this uh, NCAA thing. I think that you're going to see some circumstances where kids stay in the draft when they're not exactly first round picks. Uh, And, you know, these kids or these coaches that weren't assuming they were going to lose these players as early as they are, are going to start to lose those players. Yeah. That's fine with me.
1: You know, like I, I, I'm absolutely with me too. I have no problem with it. Right. Yeah. I'm always like, uh, you know, Oh, well, this kid was second round pick. I, I did a stat. I don't want to call it a study because it probably overstates it. I just went through and like, um, you know, every draft in recent years and like looked at those actual second round picks. And what you find out is American uh, college students who are drafted in the second round, like the majority of them actually do get guaranteed contracts from the NBA.
0: Yeah. I mean, it, like pretty much if you're drafted in the top 40 at this point, you're getting a guaranteed.
1: Right. Vote. Well, that's the, that used to be like the big boogeyman people would scare prospects with. They'd be like, if you go in the second round, you're not guaranteed anything. And that is technically true. But the majority of American college players who go in the second round, they absolutely do get guaranteed NBA uh, contracts. And if it's only worth $250,000, guess what? It's worth $250,000. What else are you going to yeah. do coming out? who, what, what, you know, how many college graduates, you know, can get $250,000 coming out of college. Like not many. So like good, you know, like I'm, I'm a big believer in if you want it, if you're after the money and it's there for you, go get it. And despite what some people will try to tell you, there is absolutely no reason why you can't develop as a professional uh, just as well or better in some cases as you can develop as an amateur. In fact, I was in studio, CBS Sports Network, with uh, Brendan Haywood a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this mm-hmm. exactly. And I can't remember what player it was, but there was a player, uh, you know, college player, who he knew and was a, you know, like a projected second round pick, but was definitely going to get picked. And the, the player was like, you know, I think I maybe need to go back to college and, you know, go, do one more season and, and try to improve and try to get better. And Brendan flat out told him, "If you want to really get better, like if that's your goal, like you should just go get drafted, and then you spend all day long. You know, you you know, if you want to, you spend all day long working on basketball. Mm-hmm. Like you get to the arena, you know, four hours early. You get a workout in pregame, even if you're not going to play. You get a you get a ninety minute workout in before every game. If you want, there's always somebody who's going to be willing to work with you. There's no time restraints, and." You're not having to worry about biology or some stupid study hall. Like if you if you really are going to be a professional basketball player and you really want to get better, like do that. And then beyond all that, how about this? So let's say you're Malik Newman and you're a fraud. You're never going to be an NBA player. Or you're Scala Bissier and you're a complete fraud. Never going to be an a, a relevant NBA player. I, I, I Hey, let them figure that out after they give you a million-dollar contract, right? Yeah. That's what I would do. Uh, No,
0: I I totally agree. Um, If you, you know, talk to people around the league and, you know, even you can see reports of this throughout all of the last week. I mean, the D-League is stronger than it's ever been. Uh, The level of play is higher. There is less of a risk now of going to a D-League situation where, uh, you know, it's just these guys all out for themselves, like trying to get noticed and, you know, dominating the ball and really not letting you develop as a player. Uh, Now that there are actual affiliates going, these NBA teams are really focusing their attention on the D-League and making sure that they have the guys in place that, you know, they want and that they think will help their younger talents develop. Um, The D-League is not a bad place to develop if you're an NBA prospect, in my opinion. I mean, you look at, uh, I think that there were three or four Uh, underage kids that got drafted in the second round last year. Maybe uh, I want to say it was Olivier Hanlon, Takari Johnson, uh, Tyler Harvey, and J.P. Tokodo, I think, was the other one. Tokodo, I think, was the only one that ended up not getting really set up with uh, a good situation uh, because he tried to do something weird with the Sixers with his contract where he wouldn't accept, like, their offer their minimum offer he wanted to accept their minimum offer but wouldn't uh, and they didn't really want him to so like You're still going to be fine. If you get drafted in the second round uh, I would not be too worried about that. You might get caught in an international numbers game If you're one of the higher second round if you're like a borderline second round prospect where they're International kids that they're happier to stash but having said that it's just there is not really an appreciable difference between developing in the college game uh, or in the D league at this point.
1: Norlander, let's wrap up with this. Is Oklahoma going to be ranked number one Monday afternoon and then lose Monday night at Hilton Coliseum?
2: Oh boy. Um, they're going to be ranked number one. You got to believe it, and they should, which by the way, will be the first time in 26 years. The Oklahoma Sooners have been the number one team in the AP poll. Uh, Iowa State got a win that it absolutely needed over the weekend. It went on the road and it beat Kansas State handily. K State has been better than expected, but I don't think that's an NCAA tournament team. And now Iowa State's really, it's got, you know, it dropped uh, its home opener. No, it wasn't the opener, was it? They dropped, but they lost the game at Baylor uh, last weekend. And so now this is, yeah, I'm going to say they lose. Oklahoma does. I think Iowa State will win, um, which it, is we'll get it to three and three overall, and no shame by the way if that happens. You know, Big Twelve top of the league is tough, but it's one of those things where if Oklahoma does win that game, they'll be five and one. They'll have already, uh, you know, taken Kansas two, three overtimes on the road. They can beat Kansas on its home floor. We can start seriously entertaining. Oh, sure. We can entertain Oklahoma taking the Big Twelve title, which is just you know Kansas' streak. Said a thousand times on the podcast, just fascinates me but I do think it is going to uh, it is going to lose to the Cyclones on Like
1: yeah, but like to your point if they can win, they would be 5 and 1 in the Big 12 with their road game at Kansas and their road game at Iowa State already behind them. Like that's a yes. that's a pretty pretty good spot. Sam, Oklahoma take a loss tomorrow night or no?
0: I don't think so. I've I had to write about Iowa State twice last week, and on Tuesday, uh, I watched that entire Texas game, and that defense was a mess. Uh, They can't contain any sort of penetration. Teams are just running Jameel McKay and ball screens constantly, and whenever you run Jameel McKay and ball screens, who's actually like a pretty mobile guy, it's not that he can't really move out in space. It's that he's their only sort of rim protection. So if you pull him away from the basket, teams are just able to run roughshod and get right to the rim. And you know there's not really any line of defense there. Um, They might be just really flawed. I mean, maybe they can get Steve Prohm's system to kind of start working a little bit better again. And you know, against Kansas State, which is maybe the worst offensive team in the Big 12. Uh, They got it together. They Uh, allowed under one point per possession, which is uh, pretty much the goal of coaches uh, throughout the nation. You want to try and uh, hold teams to under one point per possession. And uh, that was nice, but this is a different beast. Whenever you're talking about Oklahoma, they can get up and run with you. They can run you in ball screens. They can shoot the lights out if they need to from three. I mean, I think that Oklahoma goes into Ames and wins in Hilton.
1: How about that? Well, listen, let's get at first things first, Sam. I think you spoke a lot on this podcast. I know, it's shocking. I think Norlander. I think he out-talked you.
2: It's okay, man. You yeah. all right with it? I am all right with it. He was he was long overdue. He brought the goods. I <laughs> kind of disagree with him on the de- uh, the D League versus college basketball de- de- developmental. Gosh, it's been a long weekend. I'm on like three hours of sleep. Oh, kid re- was, remember, kid was remember really he, bad last <laughs> night remember you when the what? baby wasn't gonna affect his life in any way remember when i wrote <laughs> more stuff on the site this weekend than anyone else despite having a two-month old kid yeah that's what i thought he did. anyways the point is um uh i yeah so i have a little bit of disagreement with him on the d-league stuff versus college troops but that is definitely for uh for another time and I love when Sam talks more. We should definitely try this more often. We will I know the audience it. likes it, too.
1: We'll try it more often. Remember, you can subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. Go do that. It's the quick way to get uh, your hands on the latest episodes. And uh, either way, uh, we will talk to you again later on this week. Till then, take care.